Good morning, everybody. Welcome to AWS reInvent. I'm Steve Schmidt. I happen to be the Vice President of Security Engineering and the CISO for AWS. Today, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about my favorite topic, which is automation. Automation is the thing that makes security wonderful when you get it right. And it's something that's become critically important to our success as an organization. And it's also become critically important to the success of our customers. Not only because they depend on us for their infrastructure operations, because everybody has to do more with less. And the way to do that effectively is by automating the really tough work. Now, for a long time, we've been working with you to try and get that nasty, heavy lifting work off of your hands build our infrastructure in such a way that you can build yours on top of us, and then take the next few steps, which is look at how does your security operation tend to spend its time? Where can we help you automate your functions to do so more effectively, more efficiently, but more importantly, to raise the bar across your organization from a security perspective? So today we are going to talk about automation in a lot of different contexts. We're going to talk about our compliance program first, and for those of you who haven't heard the, the discussion we've got about compliance, uh, our compliance organization is in the security team. It's there intentionally. Compliance is not something that we tack on afterwards. It's not an afterthought where you have to sort of make something compliant because your regulators require it. It's because good compliance can actually drive good security. And there's this really wonderful flywheel effect that you get when you put the two together. I'll talk a little bit more about how that works for us. We'll have a customer come up and talk about how their security evolution has taken place and how automation helps them in that process. We'll talk about some of the tools that we've improved on or launched this year. And then we get into the really fun part of the discussion. Uh, customers last year came up and said, you know, I really want to hear more about how you guys do things behind the scenes. How do you do stuff at the scale that you operate at? You can't operate a business like ours using traditional tools or techniques. We get the, the fun part of the job, which is building all the stuff that doesn't exist. And then figuring out from customers, hey, I would love to be able to use that thing that you talked about because it would make my job easier. Then lastly, we'll give you some hints about the new launches that will be coming out in the very near future here. And uh, the fun part of my job is, of course, saying, hey, if you listen to the keynote tomorrow, you'll hear more about this particular area, which has got some interesting announcements that focus on security and compliance in AWS. So let's talk about compliance. Uh, compliance is one of those areas where customers have told us they are now choosing to move to AWS because of our compliance program. They do so because compliance is difficult work, and it also tends to be zero defect work. What does that mean? It means that if you don't get compliance right, your business is in a really bad place in most circumstances. That's especially true for regulated industries, where your business can literally be stopped if you don't get the compliance program completely correct. So it's an area that we care about deeply. It's also an area that we like to innovate in. And the words compliance and innovation are not typically used in the same sentence. But we believe that they can and they should be. The most common question we get is who owns my data? It's important for compliance purposes because a lot of industries have regulatory issues around where PII can be stored and who has access to it, et cetera. But more importantly, it's a fundamental privacy question for customers. 
And it's something that we make super clear. Customers own their data in AWS. It's in our contracts, it's in our enterprise agreements, and it's something that we repeat to you all the time. But more importantly, you get to decide where your data is stored. You can't just hand us your data and say, hey, please store this somewhere in AWS. You have to tell us, I want this data to be stored in Amazon S3 in US West 1. And then we'll put it there, and more importantly, we will keep it there until you tell us to move it somewhere else. We can, of course, do that move to another region for you if you'd like, but you have to instruct us to take that step for you. For example, a lot of customers in Japan have chosen to use the west coast of the US uh, or Singapore or Australia as a backup in case you have another situation in Japan where the infrastructure is disrupted. So they intentionally move their data off of that region to somewhere else. The bottom line, though, I think is the one that's most important to customers, and it's the most important to us. I am happiest when your data is encrypted on AWS. I am happiest when our staff have no access to your clear text information. There's a theme that you'll hear throughout this discussion, and it's about move people away from data. Why is that important? A couple reasons, I think. Uh, the first is people make mistakes. They type the wrong thing at a keyboard. You know, it's the, the, the guy who's been up for 16 hours and is sitting at a, a command prompt and types rm minus rf star and then says, oh no. So yeah, people make operational mistakes. They also make mistakes in security. They click on that link in that email that they really shouldn't have. And as a result, that nation state adversary now has access to their login credentials and everything they legitimately have access to on your infrastructure. So keep the people away from the data, can keep your adversaries away from the data as well. And automation is the principal way to do that. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Certification and accreditations are our way of communicating the way we practice security to you. We have millions of customers. We can't have a one-on-one -on -one engagement with each of them with a human. It doesn't scale. And frankly, most of our customers don't want that. They don't need that sort of personal touch that a big enterprise might. They want to be able to interact with us in a purely automated fashion. It's efficient. They can do it on their schedule. They can do it only to the level that they want. But they can get that interaction at any point in time. And the way we talk about security is through the expression of certifications and accreditations. <clears throat> Our customers run the gamut. They're everything from a pharmaceutical business on one hand to the US Defense Department on the other to financial services industries in between. They all have different requirements for how certification accreditation takes place. To be able to operate with a global set of certifications, which we do, and by the way, an interesting point about certification, some people have taken the sort of approach of, well, I have a stack of paper that's this high with certifications on it. I must be better than you. Really? No. Certifications matter to customers. So you pick the ones that customers care about and you focus on them. So we've got about 70 services. We operate around 2,600 controls. That results in about 7,700 audit artifacts. That's 7,700 audit artifacts that our customers don't have to create themselves. That's 7,700 audit artifacts that our auditors go through and validate and test as true that you don't have to pay your auditors to go look at. 
Now, audit artifacts, of course, are something that customers need the results from. They need the result of that test. And traditionally, you've had to go to our sales teams and ask for those audit artifacts in a human interaction basis. Guess what? We decided to automate that process as well. So we launched AWS Artifact. It is a way that customers can select to get reports in an automated fashion off of our website. All you have to do is log in. If you've got an NDA in place with us already, you're in an awesome point. Otherwise, there's a click-through NDA. You can get access to all the audit evidence you need whatever time of day in an automated fashion. Now, figuring out what you need to focus on from a control standpoint has been of a bit of a daunting task for many folks. And so it's an area that we've also focused on automating. If you are subject to something like PCI, for example, you want to say, well, what controls does AWS automate for me? And then figure out, what controls do I have to work on myself? Well, when you get to that point, do you have the right tools? Do you have the right capability in your arsenal to execute on those other controls? You know, for example, if you use uh, Amazon Virtual Private Cloud, you get about 28 of the PCI controls out of the box. But there are others that you need to figure out then. So what we've done is we've partnered with Allgress to produce an app. This is available on the AWS Marketplace right now where you can select a control regime that you are required to be compliant with, and you get this really cool visualization of what we do for you and what you need to do yourself. But more importantly, we give you links to partners in our marketplace catalog who can satisfy the remainder. So you can choose which partners you'd like to use to solve all of your compliance problems. And this is something that a lot of customers have said that is really important to them. Don't make me sort through the marketplace and figure out who can help me comply with the remaining control sets. Automate it. Here you go, folks. And the partner marketplace is something that is sort of core to our business. Many people come and say, I'm moving on to AWS. I already use these sets of software or services in-house, and I don't want to change because my staff is trained. They know how to use it. My operational controls are built around this. So please find a way that I can use the same stuff in-house and in AWS. The great news is, for the vast majority of large security providers, and small, frankly, you can use exactly the same software in AWS that you already use in your on-premises environment. Now, the fun part is that a lot of these folks have gone the next step. They become more creative in their licensing. So you can license software by the hour in our marketplace that you might have to do an enterprise license for or a, a long-term three-year license agreement if you're to do it on-premises. That gives you the ability to try things out very easily, painlessly, and only pay for that which you actually use. Now, similarly, if you already have an on-premises license, an enterprise license agreement, for example, you can, in most cases, transfer that to operate in AWS as well. Now, this is a, uh, a service that was announced on November 21st. It's S3 data events. Um, this is something that is part of the arsenal of ensuring that you can meet both compliance requirements and real security requirements. So S3 events uh, is a service that logs all of your activity with specified S3 buckets uh, or S3 objects. 
and puts them into CloudTrail and CloudWatch events. And the latency here is pretty low, by the way. It's typically in the five-minute range. Uh, it can be much quicker than that in some circumstances. But the cool thing is you can trigger Lambda to do things when something happens. So, for example, if you're concerned about PII being put into Amazon S3 by your employees, you can set up a rule that says whenever a new object is placed into Amazon S3, run this Lambda trigger against it, which can search for PII and alert me if something is present. Or it can set access controls around that particular set of PII to ensure that it's kept safe. This is about making your security system reactive in as close to real time as you can get. It's not a detective control. It's an actual operational control. And I think that's an important point, is we want to make security something that is not about alarm systems and warning people that something bad has occurred, but actually take the necessary steps to remediate the problem in an automated fashion. And this is a theme that you'll see throughout today's talk. It's about how do we build controls that react automatically? How do we ensure our staff has visibility into what the systems are doing automatically? But most importantly, it's about how to become more efficient in our operations. What I'd like to do now is welcome Maureen Allison to the stage. She's the CISO of Johnson & Johnson, and she's going to talk to us a little bit more about how they've migrated to the cloud and automation has improved their lives. Thank you, Steve. Hey, everyone. Um, great to see you. How great is this? A room filled with security lovers. How, you know, this warms my heart. Steve asked me here in Amazon to talk to you about my journey to the cloud. My journey to the cloud did not start when Amazon was created. It started much earlier, about 10 years ago or so. And cloud was a marketing uh, term at the time. Uh, hey, if you just move your data outside of your four walls and put it in literally outsourced IT, you have it in the cloud. Well, I was working at a PBM, a pharmacy benefit uh, manager company at the time. We dispensed pills to 65 million Americans, and we had their data. Uh, while I was there, I ran into a couple of gentlemen, one of them the C CTO of Johnson & Johnson now, Dan Zellum, as well as our chief architect at Johnson & Johnson, he was also over at the other company, Mark Landy. Two very brilliant guys, and what I learned as a CISO over at the other company was, you better run and keep up or you're going to be left behind because every six months we were putting out an IT data product. Well, it was easy. We had a mainframe. It was our own data lake, and it was our own internal cloud. It didn't make sense at that time to look at going to the cloud and putting it somewhere else. Fast forward a couple of years. I moved over to Johnson & Johnson in 2010. I had the absolute best job in the world. I work for a company with over $70 billion worth of sales every single year. We touch 1 billion people every single day with our products. 
But what I walked into was a company that had just centralized their IT. It was like taking 250 separate companies and putting a pot of data together and saying, now you're centralized IT. As you can imagine from a security perspective, we had none of the enterprise systems that we needed to be able to manage and control those companies and their data and making sure it was compliant. Compliance was a word, well, we have an SOP, we did an audit, we're good, check. Security was not part of being compliant. And here I walk in, go, well, this is cool, and I start building with a, a very strong team the controls that are necessary in that organization. Come April 1st, 2013, Dan Zellum shows up as the CTO of Johnson & Johnson. And two months later, Mark Landy. And all of a sudden, we're now back talking about what are we going to do with a situation with legacy IT? How are we going to get out of this? I had some, some of the finest NT4 domain controllers left on the planet. How did I find them? Thank you, China. You put an APT on them. That's how I found them. This was not going to be sustainable. And like most CISOs, we like to keep our jobs. We don't like to move to other companies. So when Dan showed up and then Mark came in and we talked about how to leapfrog, we knew in this instance, even though in the last instance, a cloud was not in our possibility. We were seeing very cloudy days and we were going to have to make a choice to move. And we did that and we, we interviewed and looked at a number of cloud partners. The one we chose with the most flexibility was Amazon Web Services. Why? Because they listened. One of the things that we have to have is cutting-edge, software-defined data centers. We have one internal, and we also use external. We also had to have self-service with control. One of the things that we found out was is that we were already using Amazon for a lot of our businesses, any way anyone wanted to use them. Why? You can use a credit card and spin up a service. And at J&J, &J, people were doing that. Well, we realized we were going to have to put governance in, and we created our own virtual, virtual private cloud environment, uh, which then helped us to bring all it in. And working with Amazon, we were able to identify anyone with a J&J &J IP address that was sending data to Amazon, and we were able to crowd them, corral them back in, and not tell them no, but here's how, yes, and here's how you do it. So as we move forward about two years ago, Steve and I, and we're both former FBI agents, and we met for the first time on some of those nice white pleather couches you see around, and we did the FBI stare at each other, sniffing dog thing, looking at each other like, okay, who are you, what are you doing? And we had a great uh, brainstorming session that day, and what, we talk, what I talked about is, Hey, Steve, do you know if you've got all the operational data from Johnson & Johnson and thousands of other companies, do you know what you can see from a security perspective? 
Why do I have to stand alone against advanced persistent threats, malware, ransomware, and the likes? Um, why can't you help me? And then what we see is AWS took off and has started bringing those in. But I challenge the other vendors and partners in the room. Because today, as a security professional, what I don't need is how I do security inside Johnson & Johnson and then move it to the cloud. We need to make an innovative switch to the future so that we are now looking at things differently with rights management and, and being able to control how data moves or data persists. And I reach out to each one of you that are out there to start thinking about those innovative ways. Because what I don't want to do, for me, running a security operation is, is my table stakes. I've got to do it well. And if I can give that to someone, a trusted partner, who can do it for me, it frees me up. And instead of working on security operations, I'm now working with the business to secure the business and helping to secure the future of health care for our customers and our patients. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Thanks, Maureen. I think there are two pieces out of that discussion that I would like to, to restate and focus on a little bit. Uh, the first is a statement that Maureen made very quickly about the attitude of security in organizations. And she went through the section and discussed about not saying no. We're in a business where it's typical for people to say, no, you can't do that, stop. The problem is your business operations folks will say, that's nice, see you later, and go around you. So a security team who doesn't say no, but instead says, yeah, we'll help you do that, but we'll do it in a fashion that's consistent with our corporate governance requirements and the way to do things safely, is it a tremendous advantage to that who says no. Instead of being a road bump, speed bump, you become a partner in business operations. Let's talk a little bit now about what's changed in security tools in 2016. Do a quick recap for you, go through some of the tools. And then we're going to talk about the fun part. Uh, how do we do this business at scale? What are the crazy things that we do behind the scenes? And uh, what are the tools that we use to do them? Um, identity and access management. One of the, the elements that was in Marine's last slide, by the way, is about constraining access to resources. And uh, IAM, Identity and Access Management, is the fundamental core of that at AWS. We believe really strongly that humans should have only the minimum access to data that's required to do their job. Uh, it's sort of the canonical example of that in our uh, world is the separation of responsibilities between the physical and the virtual. So if you go into a data center, uh, in most people's data centers, the people who work in that facility will have privileged access to the machines in the facility, in a data center. So if you go into your average corporate uh, location, ask your staff who's in that data center, do you have root or administrator on these machines? The answer is probably going to be yes. Uh, I personally think that's terrible. Because if I want to steal your data, I can do it logically through the network. But if your network controls are really good, 
I'm going to execute what we lovingly call the Maserati attack. How many Maseratis does it take to get your average data tech to turn over a hard disk? Not too many, as it turns out. So separate the people who can physically touch the data from the people who can logically identify where the data sits. If you go into an Amazonian data center, the data tech who can physically touch a hard drive has no idea beyond maybe what service it's part of, what data is present on that hard drive, because they don't have rights to log into the hosts. That's not true in most corporate facilities. Separate the jobs, reduce your risk, make it harder for the adversary. IAM helps you do that. It helps you build individual constructs which say this human can have access to this service for this purpose only. Now, one of the things that's kind of fun, and this is an allusion to some stuff you'll see coming down the road here from us uh, this week, is that you can build ways to react to certain kinds of activities using Lambda. And that's an area that we're going to be expanding on some more. So pay attention during some of the keynotes there and think about the security benefits of what you can do with the Lambda announcements you'll hear coming out in the near future. Least privilege and segregation responsibilities. The rant that I just went on about get your data center staff away from the data uh, from a logical perspective. Um, this is about not only doing that separation, but it's also enforcing the use of multi-factor authentication. If there's one thing that makes certain adversaries' lives harder, it's not being able to use a username and a password to access data. If you look at the kind of attacks that Maureen was talking about, the simple inclusion of a multi-factor authentication token would have broken many of those attacks. We offer this as an extension to our APIs and our console now. It is free. Please use it where it's appropriate. Now, obviously, for every automated um, API call that you're making, you don't necessarily want to enter an MFA token. But for those high-value constructs or roles where you have assigned a lot of privilege to a user, use MFA where it's appropriate. Your root account should have MFA enabled on it. It's in our best practice documents. It's something you should just take care of. Ten managed policies. One of the things that customers have told us repeatedly is, your services are complicated. You guys know your services better than I do. Make it easier for me to use them well. Make it easier for you to, me to use them safely. So we've come up with managed policies for our identity and access management platform. Things like administrator access, billing information, data scientist, database administrator, uh, network administrator, or security auditor, all of which have policies which are maximally constrained but allow you to accomplish individual goals. Uh, by the way, the adoption there has been pretty cool uh, for a feature that we really didn't even publicize that much. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who are currently using uh, these policies across our infrastructure every single month. And it's a reflection on the fact that customers like it when we make it easier to do things in an automated fashion and do it reliably and do it well. Now, repeatedly automating certain tasks that are a pain in the neck is a theme that you see, of course, throughout the AWS service evolution. Amazon Inspector is a reflection of how we do security evaluation of our own systems. And Inspector is a service that allows you to build rules about the way your infrastructure should be operating and then alert you when it's not in compliance with that. So for example, if I say that my uh, Windows Server 2012 R2 machines should be compliant with the CIS benchmarks, tell me when they're not. 
You can do that using Inspector. Inspector is a configuration scanning engine. It's an agent that installs on your virtual machines. It executes on a period interval that you specify. And then it gives you a report of when your machines are not in compliance with your expectations. But most importantly, it not only tells you that things are broken, it gives you instructions on how to fix them, which was a huge request from customers. Don't tell me I have a problem. Make it easy for me to fix the problem. Now, a lot of people will use Inspector in a uh, sort of time-bound kind of thing. I want to run it right now, and I'll run it again a little bit later on. But the way we view this is this should be run every time you make a change in your environment. And it should be run in an automated fashion. So the customers who are more sophisticated here are building this into their code deployment service so that they choose to run Inspector whenever they make a substantial change to their environment. So they can validate that what's going on is consistent with what they expect to be going on. The big changes here, obviously, are uh, that we've added the CIS certifications. Um, assessments do complete now, by the way, if some of the agents are offline. There was a, a problem we had in the design earlier where that wasn't the case. That has been fixed. Uh, and we filter the findings based on severity levels. Some people say, I'm perfectly willing to deal with a whole bunch of lows. Just don't put them anywhere in the, in the report that I'm worried about. But I really want to see the criticals and highs right off the bat. Uh, so those features have been uh, enhanced significantly. You will see a bunch of new features coming out in the first part of 2017 for Inspector. Uh, we will be answering a lot of the requests that customers have given us for the use of Inspector, and you will find it available in more places than you have before. Key management service. Remember I said that I'm happiest when you encrypt your data? Uh, encrypting your data is easy. Encrypting your data using keys that you manage well is not as easy. Anybody who is a crypto professional will say it is pretty straightforward to figure out how to run AES. It is not straightforward to figure out how to control the keys, keep them safe, make them available when you need them to the people you need them, and make sure, oh my gosh, they don't disappear. Because well-encrypted data where the keys aren't present isn't any different than noise and not terribly useful to my business. So we give you a lot of options for implementing encryption. Everything from the left side to the right side. The left side of the screen is the easy. You literally check the box in Amazon S3 for server-side encryption. You don't have to worry about it. We just do the encryption. Remember I said I love it when you encrypt your data? That means that all of your data that's in S3 sitting on disks in my data centers is only ciphertext. That's awesome because it means even if I have a human who has access to that machine and can touch that disk, the only thing they can touch is ciphertext. <clears throat> now, KMS, that is the foundation of our ability to provide encryption throughout our services. It gives us the ability to create keys at the same transaction rate that, ADA, uh, that S3 operates at, as well as all the other services out there. It's the foundation that allows us to do things like give you transparent EBS encryption. But it also gives you the ability to choose to do different things with keys rather than just have us create them and use them on your behalf. Now, let's say you're in a business which has some pretty strict regulations on key management, and you need to use an HSM, hardware security module, to generate and store your keys or to perform cryptographic functions. We have that available, too, in Cloud HSM. The nice thing there is that this is a physical hardware appliance that, although it sits in my data centers, our staff have no access to the cryptographic functions that occur in it, which means that you can have assurance that it's only your teams who can see and use those keys. 
And on the far right side, you can use your own key management service. We don't constrain you. You can choose to bring your own keys to the party at AWS if you want to. What I will say is running your own key management platform is hard. And it is the biggest availability risk that you have as an organization. So think carefully about whether it's something that you want to use your precious skills to operate on. Bring your own keys to the AWS Key Management Service. This was a feature we added in 2016. It's a big one. It means that customers can choose to bring their own keys, we'll use them on their behalf, and then destroy the key that's in our possession in a very short period of time. This is important because customers then know that if they haven't told us to take an action on their behalf, we don't have the key. So even if for some reason we were asked to produce data by a, a law enforcement order, for example, if we don't have the key, we can't produce anything except ciphertext which is an awesome response from my point of view. You know, tell a law enforcement officer, sorry, can't help you. Your ciphertext, enjoy yourself. We've also produced the AWS encryption SDK. And the encryption SDK is all about allowing you to build good crypto into your software natively. Remember, this is about giving you ways to drive crypto deeper and deeper and deeper into your operations. And I think just as the internet as a whole we are better off if we encrypt everything in transit, we encrypt everything at rest. And we do so using both good cryptographic implementations, but more importantly, safe and performant key management. So I'm going to digress a little bit here and talk about hardware, because hardware changes in EC2 can give us some really cool opportunities uh, as security professionals. Um, X1 instances, for example, two terabytes of memory in one machine, uh, think about this from a security professional standpoint where you need to search through lots and lots of data that performs best when it's all in memory at the same time. Two terabytes is a pretty fun place to be. Uh, just as an example, uh, one of the things that my team operates is uh, an infrastructure that allows us to see every command that's executed on our infrastructure with privilege by our staff. So uh, we run a version of the Linux audit daemon, for example, on machines that reports back everything that one of our staff does when they're touching an EC2 uh, virtual machine, excuse me, EC2 droplet, which is the hardware that underlies our virtual machines. And I can see with precision what command they executed with what arguments and what they got back, which gives us tremendous visibility in how our staff are using our infrastructure, but it also gives us assurance that they're doing so responsibly. Now, the really important thing about that is that it takes a lot of data analytics to crunch through all that information. So every morning I get a report which shows what humans took privileged commands on EC2. The fact that I can view that on my phone should give you an indication of how small that number is, the list. But most importantly, then, we can go back afterwards and validate with the people's managers that what they were doing when they were touching those machines was appropriate. So there are no hidden corners that somebody can hide in and do things. Now, another cool one that I had to bring up here is our P2 instances. This is a new instance type, by the way. Has 16 NVIDIA Tesla K80 GPUs uh, with 192 gigs of, uh, of video memory and 40,000 parallel processing cores. Okay, so I've got 70 teraflops of single precision uh, power at my fingertips here. From a security standpoint, you can do some pretty cool stuff with aggregating and sorting through data with that much horsepower at your hands. Um, this is, I'm pretty sure this is the most uh, popular, or excuse me, most powerful GPU instance uh, type that you can get anywhere uh, on the cloud market right now. And it's something that security teams have just figured out they can do a lot of really cool stuff really rapidly with. Speaking of which, 
You should pay attention tomorrow if you're in the security world and you're interested in custom designing and operating your own hardware-assisted algorithms uh, because we'll be giving you some new options in that space. So how do we do stuff at scale? We build a lot of things ourselves. Uh, to give you an idea about scale and what that means here, uh, our team had to review, this means an application security review uh, and test, 2,200 services and features. So one of the things that our team is responsible for, for example, is we have to test or evaluate 100% of the new features and services that come out of AWS. Uh, software engineers are awesome people, but sometimes they make mistakes. And the job of the security engineer is to detect those mistakes and fix them as rapidly as possible. 319 compliance programs that we've got across 40 plus services is an enormous amount of work that we have to support there. And 5,700 security reviews uh, this year. A lot of people maybe do one pen test a year. Uh, we do thousands. And we do so because it is the single best way to validate the function of our software is as we expect. 2,400 controls times the number of services, times over a six-month period, which is one audit interval, 30 million instances of control performance. That's not something a lot of people find very sexy, uh, but it is something that is fundamentally important to our ability to deliver services to customers. And the way we do that is through automation. Constraint-based monitoring. Okay, we are now entering the esoteric. I will admit this. Uh, we have a group inside our organization called Automated Reasoning. Uh, it was one of the, the things that Amazon does periodically is um, we take these things called big bets, which is where we're kind of wondering whether something might work, and we put an investment in an area and say, okay, we're going to hire a bunch of crazy smart people, put them in a room and say, go figure out the answer to a particular problem, and we hope you get it right. And so what these guys did, and ladies, is they built a tool for static analysis of, of EC2 and VPC networks. This is something we use internally right now, and we're beta testing it with a, a group of our external customers. But it answers questions using artificial intelligence and logic to analyze things like, is this particular host accessible from the internet? And you can set rules around that. Or can two of our hosts SSH together? Or can instances in two different groups talk to each other through any path at all. Now, this is critically important for people who've got very specific requirements on separation or access path control, and they want to make sure that there's no way that someone has a back door into any of their services and features. And because this is something that is automated, you can now rerun this anytime something changes. Remember I talked a little bit earlier about event-driven security? So when something is dropped into S3, you should trigger an event to take an action to see if it's okay. You can do the same thing using this kind of automated evaluation. So at the end, you get an artifact saying, yes, indeed, we checked, and this is correct, uh, or this is not correct, and you can use that as part of a proof to a compliance pro uh, professional. Great comment, by the way, uh, when we showed this to one of our um, financial services customers. Uh, I, I think it's a real statement about how he views automation and this kind of thing. This is the most exciting thing I have seen since they told me I would one day build customer-directed VPC endpoints. It's really, really meaningful. 
Um, the session that describes this, by the way, I think unfortunately is already sold out. Uh, it's Byron Cook's uh, Security 401 talk. Um, if you are registered for that, it is going to be awesome. Go take a look at it. If you have not yet had a chance to register for it, the streams will be available within 48 hours after the presentation being given. So take a look. Um, you will hear a little bit more about gaining deeper insight into your code and services during the keynotes in the next couple days. People ask how we use our services to keep an eye on our services quite often. Uh, we have an internal platform that consumes NetFlow-like logs. So do you have VPC flow logs in your environment? Are you collecting them now? This is a hint. If you're not, you should be. Because they give you a way to track which machines are talking to which other machines, whether it's within your infrastructure or to the outside world. Incredibly useful source of information, and it's something that we use internally. We can use this kind of data to understand when credentials have gone places that we don't expect them to, or when machines are behaving in such a way that would indicate the accounts associated with them have been compromised. It's also an area where there's lots of other malicious behavior that can be detected, and if you start tying your existing intelligence feeds into things like VPC flow logs, you can start answering questions like, are my machines talking to a C2 command and control channel that I've identified on the outside world? But this only gets to be useful if you have the source data. We can't go back and recreate stuff that doesn't exist. Please keep the logs. There is no excuse for not keeping the logs. When you look at the price of Amazon Glacier right now, which is literally in the tenths of a penny per gig per month, there is no reason not to keep logs anymore. You can't go back and recreate that which was sent to DevNull. And nobody wants to be the guy who's sitting in the room with the boss saying, yeah, I could have seen that, but I didn't keep the logs. So, all right, something bad has happened. What do you do next? Automatic ticketing. Um, this, by the way, is a, a really fun way to use our services aggregated together. We actually have an automated ticketing platform that not only do we cut tickets to our service teams when our tools find problems, but we auto-resolve those when our tools have validated the problems have been fixed. So we don't require a security engineer to go back in afterwards and say, yes, indeed, that problem has been resolved, uh, which is a tremendous accelerant for our staff. It's something that allows us to focus our high-knowledge, high-judgment individual humans on those things that uniquely they can do. Use automation to free up your humans. By the way, you're going to hear a little bit more about getting data into and out of systems in the keynotes coming up, which is a key part of being able to build that automated workflow. An automated workflow looks something like this. Uh, this is one of our internal scanning platforms, by the way. Um, we often have conversations with customers about how often do you scan and, and look for things on your infrastructure. Uh, the answer is yes, all the time. Uh, the only way you can do that, by the way, is use the cloud to scan the cloud. Um, otherwise, it would be just an impossible, uh, impossibly large uh, construct. Um, so when bad security issues happen to the Internet, things like Heartbleed, for example, one of the things that we do as an organization is to help our customers identify when they might be at risk to certain kinds of activities. The only way we can do that in some circumstances is by scanning. 
And to do that, we use our own infrastructure, particularly things like Lambda, which is a tremendously useful event-driven scan platform, to spin up literally tens of thousands of scanners all at the same time, which are focused on getting us the answers we need in a very short period. You string these together with the glue that's necessary to enable you to build the workflows you require, and you create tickets out of that automatically. Or in the case of us helping out customers, we create customer support cases that are outbound. Change management, shifting gears. Uh, change management is something that is near and dear to the hearts of uh, a lot of people. Um, and it's something that we focus on a lot because it's our control point in the security organization to help understand how our service teams are changing the way their systems behave and where we should look uh, for changes in the security posture of our services or software. Um, you've probably heard that we've launched uh, last year was what 722 new services or features uh, we deploy changes constantly I think the the statement that Werner Vogels made a, a couple years ago at this point was that we're deploying changes in our infrastructure approximately every one and a half seconds uh, you can't do that using a change control board in humans you have to do it using automation uh, so we built a change management environment that allows us to measure a change, measure the risk of a change, and then force evaluations of the change when it's appropriate to do so. Uh, we have two key systems that are components in this, Amazon's code management system and Amazon's system that deploys software into a host. So the way this works is a developer writes software and the code is committed um, into a code package, which is the smallest buildable or deployable unit that we have in our code management system. Um, each one of those packages is associated with a version set, which is a group of packages that should be deployed uh, at the same time. And then we have environments that are deployed to hosts. An environment is a complete set of all of the packages that go together to fulfill a particular function. Um, the hosts are grouped into host classes. A host class is a group of systems that do the same thing. Uh, so some of the host classes are very, very large. S3 has a number of host classes that are lots of zeros. Um, and some host classes can be very, very small. But the important thing is that all of those hosts are the same. And the point of a host class is to mean that a human doesn't have to take an action when I need to add a new machine uh, to do something. Things can be built automatically. So when the developer commits that code to the system, um, which is indicating they think it's ready for, uh, for production use, um, the QA and code review process is then kicked off. Uh, code reviews are completed by team members who have uh, specific technical expertise in the area in which that particular software set is targeted. But more importantly, when it's a security-relevant code change, they're not permitted to be in the same org as the person who does the initial code commit in some circumstances. That allows us to have sort of that second set of eyes, the balanced viewpoint on whether or not this thing is appropriate from a security standpoint. Um, a security code review takes place, which, by the way, includes at minimum static analysis of the software. And um, once those steps have been accomplished, it's ready for deployment by the deployment management system. So this is a, a logical system that's got a pipeline of things that you can string together to make it come out the other end. Um, the building process is something that's taken place automatically, by the way. And if building and deploying software is something that's really important to you, you should pay attention during the keynotes, because you'll hear a little bit more about how we can help you do that in a fun way uh, that's automated. But the automated workflows check to ensure that each of the requirements along the way have been met and the approvals are in place. And if they're not in place, if something is missing or something is wrong, we cut an automated halt 
in the system where we report to the individual and to their manager why the process was stopped. And the to their manager portion is important here because what we want is to not only fix the problem, but encourage a systematic improvement in the way that we do business. And we track the open issues until they're completely resolved. Now, Amazon is a metrics-obsessed company. We measure everything. And in this is one of those circumstances where it helps us measurably, that's a horrible pun and I apologize, uh, improve the performance of our individuals and our humans. So what's coming up at reInvent this year? Uh, this is sort of the Easter egg portion of the talk. Uh, I've talked along the way about the, the things that I think you'll see some more of. Um, you're going to hear a little bit more about interesting ways to uh, deploy, build, and manage code. Um, you're going to learn more about how to get data into forms that are useful for you and then ingest it into tools. Uh, and then execute jobs in a sort of uh, either synchronous or asynchronous way uh, in places that are important to you and how you can use that to benefit your security operations. Um, so there's a lot of uh, rigor that's gone into the, the sort of the, the presentation of security across AWS, and I thought I'd throw some interesting stats up here. Um, the number of person days of pen testing that we did just for the reInvent launches this year was kind of mind-boggling, almost 2,400. And uh, it's a representation of the, the way we like to tear apart our own stuff. By the way, the most coveted job on my team is pen testing because those people get to go break things for their day job. Um, and it is a, just an awesome, awesome set of fun work to do. I wish I could actually do that now instead of standing up here and talking, but somebody has to talk. Um, so. What's coming up this year, you're going to hear a little bit more about ways to defend yourself from network attacks. Uh, you'll hear that in the coming days. Um, you'll hear more about analysis of data and services that can help you do very large-scale analytics very easily. Um, you'll hear about understanding how your environment is performing in a way that's unique to you, as opposed to just the general responses that you'll hear uh, across our infrastructure right now. Um, but most importantly, uh, you'll find out ways that you can get data to and from us more rapidly, more efficiently, and more safely. So where are we going in the future? Neural networks. Oh, this is a wonderful buzzword, but it's also one that's kind of near and dear to my heart because the security team itself likes to use fun new techniques to understand how humans are using information on our infrastructure. And so we're building services that'll help us understand how our people interact with our data. And what that means is eventually, if customers are interested, we'll externalize those to you. And we'll let you see the same tools that we have for understanding how Bob worked with this data today versus yesterday. We've got new regions in a number of different locations. If data locality is important to you, we're going to be uh, opening up new regions in London, Montreal, Paris, and Ningxia in the near future, which will help us keep that data where you need it to be. And the net result of all of this is that customers are telling us that it's now not should I move to cloud, it's I am going to move to cloud and I'm going to do so in a fashion that is universal for my business. A number of additional resources, take a look at the security website, the compliance website, and our blogs will give you a lot of details about the things we talked about today. And more importantly, the blogs will be updated as soon as we do the new feature launches that I alluded to. Um, so you can get information on how you can actually use those features and build them into your infrastructure. With that, I thank you very much for paying attention, and I hope you enjoy the keynotes and the rest of the day.